get seated, I want to invite you to pull out your Bible with me and turn it to the last book in your Bibles, which is the book of Revelation. Uh, tonight we will be in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. All right, so we're going to cover a whole lot of ground tonight. You can tell uh, we have a lot of sickness that's going through our ministry, and so we do want to uh, pray for our peers and our leaders. Some of the leaders have finals that they're studying for, so missing uh, quite a bit of our our normal crew, but uh, if you joined us tonight, we are excited about that. If you're a, a guest and you joined us tonight, we're excited that you're here. We've been walking through together through the book of Revelation since the beginning of the school year, and we've made it um, a, about a little over a third of the way through this book, okay, or almost a, almost a third of the way through this book. We're in chapter six tonight, and as you turn there with me, I want to ask you a question, and that question is, um, if... If you had the opportunity, if I could give you the opportunity to somehow see the future, right? Maybe through, a, maybe through a crystal ball, maybe through a vision, you had the opportunity to see the future, your future. Would you take it? Would you take that opportunity to see the future? You guys know that, that countless movies, countless TV shows have been developed based around this theme. Now, some people, when they, when they hear that question, would I take the opportunity to see the, the future, their answer would be no. And the reason some people would answer no is, is that the, the reasoning goes, if somehow they could see the future, then that would inevitably change the way they live in the present. And by changing the way you live in the present, that would somehow alter your future. And so their point is, by seeing the future, they'd end up changing that future. And it's not good to change the future. And to that, I would say, okay, that's a, that's a fair point. But I would argue, isn't that exactly the reason we would want to see the future in the first place? Like, listen, if I could go back to 2015, I was a senior in high school. And if I could somehow know... That five years from now, there would be this virus that spreads across the entire world and it would literally shut down the entire world. If I could have known that in 2015, I think I probably would have spent the next five years of my life doing what I could to possibly prevent that from happening or at the very least to make sure that I and the people around me were better prepared for the day that it did happen. And so, yes, I'm saying that by, by seeing the future, I absolutely would have changed the future. I would have tried to change the future. And so just know, if you ever offer me this opportunity, Chase, do you want to see the future? 100% of the time, I'm going to say, absolutely, let me know what's going to happen. And if I see something in the future that I don't particularly like, that I don't think is particularly good, maybe for me or for the people I love, for the people I know, then you can bet that I'm going to take my knowledge of the future and I'm absolutely going to change the way I live in the present so that it changes the way my future and the future of so many people I love actually plays out. 
And I think, I think you'd probably do the same thing. I want you to listen to me because I think this is a really cool opportunity that we, we get tonight. By God's grace, through his word, he is going to give us that opportunity tonight. He's going to let you and he's going to let me, through his word, see the future. Can I be honest with you? God's not worried that by somehow seeing the future tonight, you might end up changing the way you live in the present, and by doing so, you would change that future. He's not worried about that. In fact, that could be, for some of you in this room, exactly what he has planned here at Impact tonight. Now, hear me out. Like, I know theologically, some of you are like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, we can't change the future. We don't have the power to change the future Theologically speaking, I I know that. We know that God is sovereign. We know that everything he's ordained to come to pass, it will come to pass, period. You can't change that. I can't change that. No man or woman can change or subdue that. Yet in the same way, I'm being serious, God really is going to let us see the future tonight. And it really is meant to change the way you and I live in the present And by changing the way we live in the present, many of us will actually discover that the future we could have had, maybe the future we should have had, is not actually the future we will have. And so no, we can't change the future, but tonight, Christ can change the future. And for many of you in this room, Christ has changed the future. He's taken your your future of, of misery of despair, and he has given you a future. He has changed your future into that of joy, into that of peace. Right? He's taken your future of judgment, of wrath. He's changed it into a future of salvation and life. And, and so tonight, the purpose of his word tonight is by seeing the future through Christ and what he's done for you in his death and resurrection, we really do have the opportunity to change that future. Whether that be our future, or if our futures already be changed, the future of those around us. And it's all going to be determined tonight by this sixth seal in the book of Revelation. So here's a little bit of a, of a spoiler. In this sixth seal, this future event that you and I are going to get to see, it's going to be this symbolic picture of the return of Jesus Christ. We just sang songs about this. The day we stand face to face with King Jesus. That's what this sixth seal is all about. And so while I've argued in Revelation 6 that the first five seals are opened, this sixth seal is not yet opened. It is unopened. And so unlike the first five seals, this sixth seal is solely a future event. It has not taken place yet. It's all about the return of Jesus, but it could literally, literally happen any second now, any day now, any month now. And our question tonight is, what's going to happen when that happens? What's going to happen to you, to me, to our friends, to our family, to our teammates, to the nations when the Lamb opens the sixth seal and Christ returns? 
This is the future event that we get to see tonight. And here's our main point. This sixth seal contains our future and our final fate. This sixth seal for everyone in this room tonight, believer or unbeliever, contains your final and your future fate. And by knowing your future fate or perhaps a friend's future fate or perhaps a family member's future fate, it is meant to change the way we live today. So if you would, in in Revelation chapter 6, we're going to cover verses 12 through chapter 7, verse 8 tonight. A lot of text. But to start us off, all I want to do is read verses 15 through 17 in chapter 6, which says this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we study this sixth seal tonight, which contains our final fate, would you convict any unbelieving hearts in this room to wake up and stir them to faith in the Lamb of God, in your Son, Jesus? And would you convict us believers tonight to stop being so occupied with the things of this world with even the gifts that you've given us, but God, would we be renewed and committed to focusing upon the mission you've given us because there is no time left to wait. This sixth seal is coming. So in the precious name of Christ we pray, amen. So if you've been with us, and many of you have over the past couple of weeks, you know that I have argued that the first five seals, which there's, seven, there's a scroll, there's seven seals containing this scroll. I've argued that the first five seals of Revelation 6 have been opened, are being opened, and will continue to be opened up until the return of Jesus Christ. However, the sixth seal has not yet been opened. And the reason that this seal has not yet been opened is, as I've already mentioned, this sixth seal is the return of Jesus Christ. And that return is imminent, meaning that return is close. It is at hand. It's going to come suddenly like a thief in the night. And so I really can't think of a more pressing question in the entire world, and I'm not being dramatic, in the entire world tonight than this. What is going to happen to you any moment now when this sixth seal is opened? I can't think of a more pressing question, a more important question than what's going to happen to you when Christ comes back. On that day, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to your friends? What's going to happen to your family? 
What's going to happen to people who have never heard the gospel before? What is going to happen to everyone on the face of the earth? What does our future hold? That's what this sixth seal is going to answer. It's going to tell us. And there's actually two possible answers to the question, depending, you might guess, on if you're a believer or if you're an unbeliever. And so first, we're going to answer that question for unbelievers. So perhaps you came to Impact tonight and this is you. You're an unbeliever. Or perhaps it's someone you know, someone you're close to. What is going to happen to unbelievers when this sixth seal is opened? And here's the answer. Unbelievers are going to perish. When this sixth seal is opened and Christ returns, if you are an unbeliever or if you know an unbeliever, they are going to perish. There's really just no way to to sugarcoat this, to, to kind of make a light joke about it. Like this is reality. For unbelievers, the sixth seal is not going to be good at all. So to start us off, let's just read Revelation 6, now verses 12 through 17 in its entirety, the rest of chapter 6. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? This is a sobering picture and a terrifying picture of the total global destruction that is going to be brought forth from heaven onto earth when this sixth seal is opened and Jesus Christ returns. And I want you to to notice with me that there's there's two, what I'm going to call categories of things within this sixth seal that get totally destroyed by Jesus. And these two categories are in two groups of seven. So you might already know why this is going to be significant. And so did you notice this, this first group of seven It's in verses 12 through 14. Go ahead and look there with me again. Verse 12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth. The sky vanished like a scroll. Every mountain and island removed from its place. And so in verses 12 through 14, you have seven things listed. The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the mountains, the islands. Seven things. And all seven of these things are being completely destroyed in this sixth seal. Now, because we know that Revelation is symbolic, we might expect these seven things, 
which are all parts of God's created universe, most of it is the cosmos, to be symbolically representing something other than themselves, and that's exactly what I think is taking place. I think the total destruction of these first seven objects in this group of seven is symbolically representing the total destruction of all the kingdoms of the earth. That's what this first group of seven, in my opinion, is picturing all the kingdoms of the earth, all the nations perishing. Now, to be fair, there are other interpretations. Some would People say it's not even symbolizing anything. It's literally just the universe getting destroyed around us. I don't believe that's the case. And if we had enough, enough time and we don't, I think we could go back to a multitude, literally a multitude of Old Testament passages. Maybe you're familiar with some. That use cosmic objects, in fact the exact same ones used in this sixth seal, to symbolically describe kingdoms and nations it's all over the old testament in fact i'll cite one jeremiah 51 it won't be on the screen jeremiah 51 god calls the kingdom of babylon he calls them a mountain and we know that babylon of course isn't a real mountain they're a kingdom they're a nation but god describes them symbolically as a great mountain or isaiah 13 This time, God is talking about the judgment of Babylon, but he doesn't say, and your walls will fall down and your kings will die. What he says is the sun will get destroyed, the stars will get destroyed, the moon will get destroyed. And it's not literally the sun, stars, and moon getting destroyed. Again, God is symbolizing what is going to take place in the kingdom of Babylon. It is going to get totally destroyed and use this cosmic objects to illustrate that destruction. And so that's what I think is going on in this first group of seven. The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the mountain, the islands. They're getting destroyed, but they're not literally getting destroyed. They are symbolizing that all the kingdoms of the earth, all of them, when Christ returns, will fall. They will get destroyed. It's no coincidence that number seven is chosen here. We've seen this number all throughout Revelation, and we need to remember Once more, and this will not be the last time I remind you of this, this number seven in Revelation is representing the fullness and the completeness of something. And so the idea here in this first group of seven is that when this sixth seal is open, when Jesus returns, every single kingdom of the earth is going to be destroyed. It's it's complete and utter destruction. Zero stand, including our kingdom including our country, including our kingdoms that we've built for ourselves. None of them stand in this first group of seven. They all fall because God's kingdom has come. But the second group of seven is perhaps even more significant and perhaps even more terrifying. Because this second group of seven doesn't represent the destruction of all the kingdoms of the earth, but instead... It represents the destruction of all the people of the earth. That's what this second group of seven represents. All the people of the earth, when Christ returns, get wiped out. They perish. 
Look back, look back with me in, in verse 15 of chapter 6. And let's see this second group of seven. It says, The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and the slave and the free. When Christ returns, they all hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain. So here's another group of seven, right? Kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, slave, free. Seven people, seven types of people. And this first group of seven, if it's representing the kingdoms of the earth getting destroyed, the second group of seven, this is huge, is representing all the people who live in those kingdoms getting totally destroyed. So here's the point, right? In this sixth seal, not only will all the kingdoms fall, but also all the people of the earth are going to fall, are going to perish once and for all. I want you to notice something really important with me in this second group of seven. You cannot miss this tonight. I want you to notice that it does not matter in this second group of seven who you are. When Christ returns, when the sixth seal is open, it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a king, a great one, or a general. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're powerful. It doesn't matter if you are slave or if you are free. It doesn't matter. When Christ returns, the point is that all people, regardless of who you are, where you live, or where you come from, if you don't belong to Jesus Christ on that day, if you have not trusted in him for your salvation, when he comes back, you will perish. It does not matter if your parents were believers. It does not matter if you never missed church, if you never missed an impact. It doesn't matter. On that day, it doesn't matter if you were a great athlete and you have all these championships and all these accolades. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you had a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you had a lot of friends. It doesn't matter if you're the most popular person in the world. None of it matters. None of it will help you face the wrath of the Lamb. When he returns, when Christ returns, if you do not belong to him or if someone you know does not belong to him, as an unbeliever, you will perish. And notice in this sixth seal what these unbelievers do as this seal gets opened. Verse number 15. These unbelievers hid themselves. They hid themselves among the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And so just picture this. On this day, this is what you will do if you're an unbeliever. This is what your friends and your family who are unbelievers will do. This is what the nations who have not heard of the gospel will do. They will hide themselves because they are terrified at the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, who is returning from heaven and whom they've rejected they hide and what's even more frightening and very difficult to swallow is that these unbelievers they don't just hide but what we're going to see next is that they wish they were dead 
They wish they were dead. Look at the next verse, verse number 16. As they hide, these unbelievers call out to the mountains and rocks and listen to what they say. Fall on us. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Are we getting this tonight? When this sixth seal opens, when Christ returns, the unbelievers who are on this earth will find it more favorable. Think about this. More favorable for the mountains to fall on top of them than it will be for them to face the wrath of of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. They will beg mountains to crush them so that they do not have to face the Lamb. This is people you know. This is people you go to school with. This is people you are going to go home to tonight. This is people in this room. They would rather be smashed by a mountain than have to face the wrath of the Lamb on this day. But here's the thing, this hiding, this crying out, it's not going to work. They can try to hide, and they can try to run. They can ask the mountains, fall on me, but none of it is going to work. On this day of the sixth seal, these unbelievers will have to do the one thing they are absolutely terrified of doing, and that is that they are going to have to face the wrath of the Lamb. Just like that song, Hymn of Heaven, says, they're going to have to stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the Holy One, with the Almighty One, with the Alpha and the Omega. They're going to stand toe-to-toe with He who died and rose again, but here is their problem. They haven't trusted Him unto salvation. They have rejected Him. They have ran from Him. They have turned from Him. Verse 17 says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And the point is, unbelievers won't stand. On this day, when this seal is opened, they can't stand. Instead of standing, they will perish. They will finally be judged. But the good news, possibly for you, possibly for that person you know, is that the sixth seal has not yet been opened. The good news is that the first five seals have been opened and the sixth could be opened any day now, but as of now, it hasn't been opened. And so today, in the present, in this moment, these unbelievers can still trust in Christ, and Christ can change this future. If you're an unbeliever tonight, we're going to give you a chance at the end of this message, but you will have the opportunity to repent tonight of your sin and treasure, trust, hope in your only hope, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you do that tonight, suddenly this future that you could have had Christ changes into a future that you never could have dreamed of having. You never could have deserved or imagined about having. 
And so chapter 6, it, it ends by asking this really important question. When Christ returns, when the sixth seal is opened, who can stand? And for unbelievers, that answer is no one. They won't stand. They will perish. But there's another group of people who won't perish on this day. There's another group of people whose futures once looked like this, but Christ has changed this future. These are the believers. So we just saw what's going to happen to unbelievers when this sixth seal is opened, and it's terrifying. But there's many believers in this room, by God's grace. What's going to happen to us when this sixth seal is opened? Well, if unbelievers will perish, we're going to see in chapter 7 that believers on this day are going to stand. The, the question that in chapter 6 is who can stand, in chapter 7 it opens up with there is a group of people who can stand on this day. You know who it is? It's you and it's me who are, unbelie- who are believers. It's you and it's me who have trusted in Jesus Christ. It is believers. We will stand on this day. More specifically, on this day, a group of people that Revelation is going to call the 144,000 are going to stand. The 144,000, I'm sure that sounds pretty, pretty strange to you, like 144,000, who are these people, what are these people? So first off, let's just read the second half of our text so you can see what's going on, so you can see where this number, 144,000, comes from and, and who they are. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 8. The Bible says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. I believe that's the sixth seal. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then it lists 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, and all 12 tribes of Israel follow. So according to our passage, right, there's 144,000 people who will be sealed leading up to the day of this sixth seal. So let's just start by asking a really important question. Who are these 144,000 people? I don't know about you, but I want to be them. I want to be sealed so that when the winds of the sixth seal blow upon the earth, I'm safe. That's who I want to be. So first I'm going to give you my answer, and then I'm going to give you my explanation. So first here's my answer about these 144,000. These 144,000 people in Revelation chapter 7 are... The finished form, the finished form 
of the fullness of God's people. That's my answer. They are the finished form of the fullness of God's people. Now here is the explanation, and it's tough, so follow along with me. Do you remember, and maybe you can turn your Bibles there if you need to, from chapters 4 and 5, the 24 elders. We identified a couple of important things about those 24 elders that you need to remember. First, we identified that those 24 elders of chapters 4 and 5 are located right now in a place called the intermediate heaven. That's the place that exists up there right now where all the saints are with Jesus. That's where these 24 elders are. Second, we identified that these 24 elders, well, they symbolically represent the fullness of God's people. They are Old Testament Israel plus the New Testament church. That's who they are, and that's how we get that number 24. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples of Jesus, in which the church stands, that's 24 elders. And so that, that people, those 24 elders, are a symbolic picture of the fullness of God's people. Not just Israel, not just the church, but Israel and the church, true Israel. Now this number, 24 elders, it it obviously isn't a literal number, right? There's not literally 24 people in heaven right now as we speak, right? There are are millions of people. This number is, is symbolic. It's symbolic in describing all of God's people, all of us who have trusted in the Messiah. That's millions and millions and millions of people right now in the intermediate heaven. And together, these millions of people make up the 24 elders, And as we said, right now as I speak, they are in the intermediate heaven and they're worshiping the Lamb. Now don't get lost here because here's our next step that we got to take. We've already established all of that in an earlier message. But now we go here. These 24 elders are going to continue to exist until the sixth seal is opened, which is the return of Jesus. And when this sixth seal is opened, the lamb that these 24 elders are worshiping in heaven is going to leave heaven and come back down here to earth. And when he gets here, he's going to separate believers from unbelievers, and he's going to usher in something called New Jerusalem, or the new heaven and the new earth. Now when that happens, when Christ comes back, those 24 elders from the intermediate heaven, they come back with Jesus. As he returns, the 24 elders, the millions and millions of people in heaven right now, come back with a roar with Jesus, and they are the first to receive their resurrected and glorified bodies. And then, all of us believers who are still left here on this earth, we will be second. We will be next in receiving these glorified bodies, and then don't miss this. Together... As Christ returns to usher in the new heaven and new earth, together, that's us down here when Jesus returns, plus those 24 elders who are in the intermediate heaven will now worship the Lamb together down here on the new heaven and new earth for all of eternity. And so follow along with me because here's where we're going. On that day, the 24 elders don't exist anymore. They're gone symbolically 
There is no need for 24 elders on the new heaven and new earth. Instead, the only group of people that will exist is the 144,000. And that's because those 24 elders, when they come down and they join the believers who are still here on earth, those 24 elders become, with us, the 144,000. And so, while the 24 elders in the intermediate heaven right now as we speak are the fullness of God's people, the reality is, is that they are the unfinished form of the fullness of God's people. The unfinished form. And do you understand why I'm calling them unfinished? They're the fullness of God's people, but they're unfinished. Why are they unfinished? Well, because I'm not there. And because you're not there. And because the millions and millions and millions of Christians who are alive right now aren't there. We're not in the intermediate heaven. We're not the 24 elders. So while the 24 elders are the fullness of God's people, they are the unfinished form of the fullness of God's people. All of us ain't up there yet. And so when Christ returns with the sixth seal, those 24 elders come down with them. Those 24 elders now merge together with all the believers on the earth to form the 144,000. So if the 24 elders are the unfinished form of the fullness of God's people, what does that make the 144,000? It makes us the finished form of the fullness of God's people. It's all of God's people from all time, both who have passed away and those who are still on earth, together that make up this number. We know that the 24 elders, we get that from the 12 disciples of Jesus and the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And we're going to get the 144,000 in the same way. Instead of adding 12 and 12, we're going to multiply 12 and 12,000. And if you look there in chapter 7, each of those 12 tribes of Israel, every single one, non-coincidentally, have 12,000 people in each tribe that are sealed within each of the tribes. This number 12,000, it's not a coincidence. It is symbolically communicating something important. The fullness of God's people. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus all make up the 144,000 people. And so I know that's really confusing. I know some of you ask, well, does that mean on the new heaven and earth there is going to be 144,000 people? Like, is that the number of people who will be in heaven? And what's the answer? No. Right? That number is symbolically communicating millions and millions and millions and millions of millions of people who will be in heaven. It's the fullness of God's people. It's the believers of all time. Now, that's a really long explanation, but it's really, really important because we need to know who these people are. It is you, if you're a believer in this room. It is me, as a believer in this room. It is your friends and family who are believers. And now we need to know what happens to these believers. On the day of the sixth seal, what happens? Verse number two says that an angel ascends from the sun, holding the seal of God in his hands. And then verse three, this angel cries out with a loud voice. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until 
We have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. In verses 4 through 8, we see that those people sealed are the 144,000. So we know, I hope, who these 144,000 people are. They are believers of all time. But what happens to them? What happens to these believers? The answer is the 144,000 get sealed. A seal is put on their foreheads. And the seal that is put on their foreheads is a guarantee to them that they will be protected from the wrath of the Lamb when this sixth seal is opened. And so when the winds get let go, when the sixth seal gets unleashed, when Christ returns, unbelievers are going to perish. But because of this seal on our foreheads, believers are going to be able to stand. That's really, really weird. Because I'm looking out and I, I see a lot of believers, but I don't see a single seal on anyone's forehead. So what are, or what is this seal? I believe that this seal is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. That's what this seal is representing. That is what is given to believers so that we can stand on this day. If you don't believe me, Ephesians 1 Verse 13 and 14, and this one's going to be on the screen. It says, in him you also, that's Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so according to Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is a seal that is set on believers. The moment you trusted in Christ, you were sealed by the Spirit who guarantees you that you will receive your inheritance of eternal life on the new heaven and new earth. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything I've done, but all because of what Christ has done. And that's what Revelation 7 is picking up on. Because of this seal, if you're a believer, you are guaranteed not to be judged on this day. That's what happened to unbelievers. But as believers, we are guaranteed to be safe, to be sealed. Once and for all to receive our new glorified bodies and once and for all for all of eternity to live with Jesus on the new heaven and new earth. That's the seal of Revelation 7. It's the Holy Spirit who guarantees. Why can you not lose your salvation? Because the Holy Spirit is your guarantee that on this day when Christ returns, You are safe. No judgment, no condemnation, only salvation. That is the future that awaits you if you're a believer, if you have the Holy Spirit. And so that's the the future. More personally, that is your future. When this seal is opened, if you're an unbeliever in this room, what is going to happen? You are going to perish and be judged for all of eternity. And if you're a believer on this day, you will stand 
and receive your glorified body for all of eternity. So I want you to ask tonight, which one am I? What does my future look like? When Christ returns, what will happen to me? I know many of you are believers in this room and I praise God for that. So the answer is because we are believers, because of what Christ has done, on this day we will stand. That is our future. But I want you to realize the future of other people in this room. And believers, I want you to realize the future of your classmates and your teammates and your friends and your family who are not believers. They would rather be crushed by mountains than to do the inevitable, which is face the wrath of the Lamb. That's your friends. That's your family members. And Christ has changed your future, but do you believe tonight that Christ can change their future? Yes or no? I believe that he absolutely can. But for this to happen, there is a really good chance that God desires you to be the vessel that goes to them, preaches the gospel to them, begs them to repent and believe in Jesus. It is going to happen. Their future is going to be changed by you in the present going and preaching the gospel. We have less than two weeks until school ends for this semester. I told you a couple weeks ago, Tyler told us a couple weeks ago, our goal was 50 people saved because of you guys this school year. We're at 38. It's amazing. 38 souls saved. We have 12 more to go. I'm just saying we have to meet our goal. We're not legalistic. It's just a goal we set. We've done an amazing job. But we have two weeks left of school and 12 people to reach our goal. If you believe this sixth seal could be opened at any moment and that unbelievers in your classrooms, in your locker rooms, and in your homes would perish, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting for this seal to be opened? Because if it does, it's way too late. Your friends and your family members, your teammates and your classmates will perish. Believers, this, this text is meant to propel us forward into Crazy, bold, courageous evangelism. But perhaps you're an unbeliever in this room. And your future isn't standing when Christ returns. Your future is a place the Bible calls an unquenchable fire. A place the Bible calls a lake of sulfur and acid. A place the Bible calls place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is your future unbeliever. And so as we invite our band up, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to have a couple of songs of response. We're not going to have small groups tonight. Our small group leaders know this. We're going to have a couple of songs of response tonight. And here's the deal. If you're a believer in this room, I want you to pray and reflect in these couple of songs on who is in your life that is an unbeliever, who God has put there, and oh yeah, has put you in their life to do crazy evangelism to over the next two weeks. Crazy evangelism. That's our goal. Reflect on that in these next two songs. If you're an unbeliever, maybe you've been coming to the church for a long time now, you just, you just haven't taken that step and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus and I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting. Maybe this is your first time or not and you hear the gospel and and you realize when Christ comes back, I'm going to perish. 
I realize what Christ has done for me. Tonight, would you trust in Jesus? During this song response, second song, just the first song right here is, as the band sings, you find your leader, you find me, you find Maggie, Audrey, Tyler, and you tell us that you are tired of running, tired of rebelling, but tonight you want to come to Jesus and be saved. We're going to sing two songs of worship. I want to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gospel. We thank you that you've given us Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. God, you've given us Jesus to raise from the dead so that when he returns, we don't have to stand before him as sinners like we deserve, but we can stand before him as saved saints. God, the future that we deserve through Christ does not have to be the future we receive. God, would you put an abundance of unbelievers on our minds tonight who you have put in our lives and may we commit tonight to do crazy evangelism with them over the next two weeks. And God, if there's unbelievers in this room, God, and, and there are, I pray that you would save them tonight, that they would stop running tonight, but tonight would be the night that they trust in King Jesus. Because we stand, we give you all the honor and all the worship and all the glory. In Christ's name we pray.